0: Um, so what we've been doing is we've been doing a short series, and this is either the last message in the series or the next to last, depends on how far we get through it today, Uh, where we're looking at this phrase, and and it's interesting because you see some, some different variations of this, but we've been strictly looking at the phrase where Paul says, I would not have you ignorant brethren, all right? So we've been looking at that. And of course, what he's saying is, I don't want you to be ignorant of something. I want you to know something, right? That's the point, because God's word works based off of understanding what God's word actually says, rather than being ignorant of what God said and just say, well, you know, it says in the Bible, this, this, and this, and that's nowhere in scripture. I've had a lot of people say that uh, to me over the years, and you're just like, well, that's not even in the Bible at all. That's just hand-me-down type stuff. Uh, that's been given. And it's really interesting. Um, well, let's start here real quick. I'm going to start here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. There's there's six times that that phrase shows up. And so we've looked at the first five. Uh, the very first one's in Romans 1, 13, where Paul's talking about, I will not have you be ignorant that I'm wanting to come to you, that I'm wanting to uh, impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, we also talked about the blindness of Israel, uh, the blindness that, that's taking place with the nation of Israel in Romans chapter eleven, verse twenty-five. Uh, we talked about the the issue of being baptized unto Moses, uh, the folks that were baptized unto Moses, and what was going on with that in First Corinthians chapter ten. Uh, we also talked about in First Corinthians chapter twelve those spiritual gifts. Paul says, "Now concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you ignorant, brethren." And then last time we talked about Paul's trouble in Asia, and that was in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, I would not have you to be ignorant of those things that came upon us uh, as we were in Asia and the things that they went through. And this is the last one that we see. And of course, like I said, we'll see how far we get with this today. So this will either be the, the last message in this series or next to the last. <clears throat> Notice here in verse 13. First thessalonians four thirteen but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Father, we thank you once again for your word, as we take a look at these these uh various truths that that's brought out uh specifically with this phrase, uh, may we be mindful of them and understand that there are certain things that are taught. Uh, with each one of them, that we should be able to uh, come to a better understanding of your word, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope, um, that we can believe the verses on the page and allow that to be the final authority in all things. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we take a look at this, you know, we've we've talked about this before. Uh, Being ignorant isn't always a bad thing. You know, oftentimes I'll have a conversation with kids at school where I teach and... Um, I'll say, well, that's ignorant. And they're like, oh, you're calling me stupid. I'm like, no, that's different. Being ignorant means you don't know. Being stupid is you know, but you still do it. (laughs) Right? You know it's not a good thing to go do this, but you still go and do it. Being ignorant is you don't know, and you've done something, and then somebody tells you, hey, that's not what you should do. Then you say, okay, I don't want to do that. I want to go do this. So this is something that these people that Paul has gone through, the folks at Rome, uh, the folks in Corinth, and then also here for, for the folks in Thessalonica, he says, there are some things that, I don't, that that you all don't know that I don't want you to be ignorant of. All right? So notice here, this is what he's dealing with. <clears throat> Verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. All right, Um why that ye sorrow not that's the purpose of him making sure that they're not ignorant of this all right i want you to know something that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope now what's one thing that's really interesting is uh how how paul brings this up in 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 other ways as well and uh, it's not the same phrase, but it's the same kind of idea, all right? And it's really interesting to go through there. Um, I was reading through Philippians this past week, and there was one that showed up there, and I was like, well, that's pretty interesting. It's a different way of saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of something. Instead, it's more of, I want you to know something. Real quick, go over to Romans. Um, we, like, we like to point these out every once in a while, just to kind of remind ourselves. Um, with this, one other thing that I want to make sure that we say is, God, what he's doing today, he's not going to work through us through ignorance, all right? Um, The way that he works is through his word working in and through us based upon a proper understanding of his word, all right? The the way he's going to work is through knowing things. Notice in Romans chapter 6, verse (coughs) 3, notice, "'Know ye not.'" that so many of us as we're baptized unto Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Notice what Paul says there. He says, Know ye not. This is something that you should know, right? Drop down to verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. He's saying we know something, right? So it's a different way of saying, not just I want you to know something, this is something you should know. What we're looking at is more of, here's some things that I don't want you to be ignorant of. I want you to know some stuff. Here, this is something he says, we should already know this, right? Over in Romans chapter 6, he's saying, here's some things that we should already know. Verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So we see there are some things that he says, we already know this, right? So we're going, to be, we're going to live our life based upon the knowledge that we have from the Scriptures. Now, what we see over here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is what? I don't want you to be ignorant of something. Specifically, concerning them which are asleep. Now, one of the things that uh, we, we want to make sure that we talk about. Um, go over to chapter 5 real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh I want us to see something real quick, because there is um you know one of the purposes of the local assembly is you you see doctrine and you want to make sure that folks are aware that this doctrine out here and it's not good right and so that's one of those things that we have to be able to think about as we're going through here and I want to start off this way, notice in first thessalonians chapter five verse twenty three <clears throat> And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body. All right. Notice that's our makeup. Paul says, your spirit, soul, and body, what? Be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this matches up with what we're getting ready to talk about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, dealing with that coming of Christ. But he's saying what? Your whole spirit, soul, and body. He's talking to save folks, and he's saying, I want... I wish, I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of Christ. Now, what we've got to also understand is Paul was fully expecting the, 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 the catching away, the rapture of the church to take place during his time, right? We know that. We can see that through reading some of his epistles. We can see that, but here's what he brings out. He's saying your spirit, soul, and body. Now, what's interesting about this is and we've, we've gone through this before. So uh, for the sake just to make sure that we understand when we're born our spirit is dead our soul is darkened and our body is depraved we know that this body cannot do anything to gain access to heaven if we stand before god one day and he says why should i let you in my heaven there is nothing we can say that we have done in this body to say that's what gets me in right we looked at it this more in ephesians 2 8 9 it's not by works that we've done uh, Titus talks about it too. Some other verses say it's not works that we've done through the flesh, but it's only by trusting in what Christ has done that allows us to enter into heaven. All right. Now, what happens is the moment that we hear the gospel and believe the gospel, what happens is that word gives life unto the spirit that was dead. In Ephesians chapter two, it says, and ye who are quickened, who were what? dead in their trespasses and sins. He says, you are quickened and your soul is given light and your body can now actually be used to produce God's life here on the earth. That's, that's Galatians 2.20, right? <coughs> the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's his life being put on display through this body that was once depraved. It can now be used to show his life Now what happens is there is a spiritual circumcision that takes place that cuts the body off from the soul. And now what we get to do is we take the words out of God's Bible, we put it in our spirit by knowing it, we take that and move it down into our soul by actually believing it, and then we take it and say, body, you're going to go perform what this verse says. That's what that is. The problem is you've got this world system out here that says, body, you should go do this. And then body's going to say, soul, this is who we are, because based on what the world says, and then our spirit says, this world's a mess, right? What's interesting is Satan's plan works this way, God's plan works that way. And it's also interesting, the only other time that we see this trifold thing is back in Genesis, and the order's different, right? God, out of the dust of the ground, formed Adam, breathed into his life, the breath of life, and he became a living soul. The order back there is body, spirit, and soul. Something interesting about that. You can study that on your own, but for right now, I want us to be able to see this. We are spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body. The problem is, a lot of folks think these two are the same, but they're not. Now, of course, we don't have time to go through that, but I want you to know that. We've done some studies on that, and if you'd like to to do that, we can talk about that. But those three things are different. And when that spiritual circumcision takes place, the moment that we trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, our body is cut off from our soul, and we no longer have, that's why Romans 6 says, we don't have to perform the works that the body wants to perform, which are sins. We don't have to it no longer has control over us. We can actually control it and say, body, you're going to go do the exact opposite of what you want to do because the verse says so. And it's interesting that we come to the understanding that that's how God's word works. All right? Now, I bring that up to say this. Go back real quick to chapter 4. Now, one of the things that... um, I didn't realize until later on in life um, that my dad believed something that I disagreed with, and uh unfortunately I was never able to talk to him the way I wanted to about it. What happens here, notice here verse 13. And I I want us to see this in the context, so we, we make sure that we see it. And I just don't want to take it out and say, here's what it is. I want us to see it in the context. Notice verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I want us to see this word, the sleep, there. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that he which, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now, one of the problems that, that we need to deal with, because it's, it's gaining momentum out there again is that issue of soul sleep there's an idea that when you die it's just your soul goes to sleep and that's what it is well the problem is is that's because people don't understand the difference between those three things how do i know it's not that notice how do we know look here look here just just look at verse 15 real quick For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive, notice that word alive, and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are what? Asleep. So if we're alive and they're asleep and our alive is opposite than theirs, what is they're asleep? Dead. 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 It is, because that verse right there, right? But here's the thing. Let's go take a look at some things real quick. Um, <clears throat> Go back to Daniel chapter twelve, and I want us to look. At, I want us to be able to look at some things and put some stuff together. Now, one of the things that's coming out from this is, you know, um, you don't actually die. Death is actually, or hell is actually the grave. There's this whole mess of stuff out there right now, and I kind of hated to talk about this, but it's part of the verse so let's talk about it but I want us to be able to see something real quick and again what what most of this comes out of is misunderstanding that those three things are different Uh, but notice here Daniel chapter 12 and we'll look at a couple verses and we'll put this together Daniel chapter 12 uh, verse 2 well let's start in verse 1 and at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even at that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame, and everlasting contempt. Now, you take a look at that verse 2, and he says what? And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Well, question, what is it that's in the dust of the earth is the body. The body is what's asleep. The body is what dies, okay? And we'll see this here in just a second as well. But what happens at the end of this, when Michael and all this stuff is taking place, when all this and the, 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 those that are found and written in the book, notice what happens. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall what? Awake. What's that? That's the resurrection. That's that bodily resurrection. What does Job say? In this flesh I will see. Right? Because he knows and understands resurrection. When Abraham took his son Isaac up to the mountain to, to, to sacrifice him, put him on the altar, what do we find out through Scripture a little bit later on is he knew that God was able to raise him from the dead. Abraham knew something about resurrection. The body, though it's dead, it can have resurrection. That's what he's dealing with here in Daniel chapter 12. Notice, some awake to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, the other problem that comes out of this is um, one of the people that's kind of a big proponent of this right now is saying that hell doesn't exist. Well, what's that verse right there say that some are going to what? To shame and what? Everlasting contempt. contempt. That's everlasting. That's another thing. Well, it's not forever. (laughs) Forever doesn't mean forever according to this person. It's forever. It means it doesn't end. It's everlasting, which means it doesn't end. So what, what they're trying to do is get around this stuff to make everybody kind of feel better about themselves, I guess. But there's a problem because verses, right? Let's go take a look at something else. Go get uh, Matthew chapter 27. <clears throat> Now, what's interesting is years ago, I found out before my dad passed away, I found out that he believes in that soul sleep. And I wish I would have had the information and the time to be able to have that conversation with him, but we weren't. If, you know, you know there's, 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 there's always this verse that you're like, okay, you just can't miss this one, right? Notice Matthew chapter 27 verse 51. This is at the death of Christ, right? His crucifixion. Verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many, what's that next word? bodies, bodies of the saints which what? slept, slept arose. What slept, according to that verse, were the bodies. Mm -hmm. Do we see that? Mm -hmm. That's interesting, because you look at that verse, and you're like, that verse has it. I mean, (laughs) you can't get around it, right? But what happens a lot of times, they'll say, well, these are all the same. And that's how they get around the verse. Well, if we got a verse that says, here are these three things. If there's a verse that says they're all the same, where's that one? There's not one. So... You've got got some issues there, right? Now, here's here's one of the reasons why I bring this up. Paul says he doesn't want them to be ignorant for those that are asleep. But if you make it that, that's not being ignorant anymore because you know better, right? Now, um, Acts chapter 13. On your way there, stop at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 13. See, I told you it was a good thing I gave you those bookmarks. That's like Bruce, when he comes up and does the verses of the of the week, he's always got them on his phone, so he's cheating finding them. Uh, he just now started cheating. <laughs> yeah, he just now started doing that. but. Like what he'll do is he's got two Bibles, then he's got his computer, which he's got the Bible open there, so he cheats on finding the verses too. He's got three books. He's like, I don't need bookmarks. I got three Bibles. So uh, we miss you, by the way, Bruce. <clears throat> um, Acts chapter two. Notice this. This is really interesting. Verse thirty-two. Now this is right on the heels of Peter telling the folks in 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 in. In Judea and he says ye men of Judea in verse 14 in verse 22 he says ye men of Israel so he's talking to these people he says what you by wicked hands have crucified and slain Jesus Christ and he's putting them he's raking them over the coal saying you're guilty of putting him on the cross that's not a good message by the way notice in verse 32 well for them it wasn't good news it was to them it was what this was bad We are guilty of this. What do we need to do because we're guilty of putting Him on the cross? Now, we come along and we can say, Jesus Christ died for your sins. You didn't put Him there, but your sins did. So what happens is we can look at that and say, that's good news that He's going to give me His righteousness by trusting in what He's done. That's a whole different message. Anyway, verse 32. This Jesus Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. Pause there for a second. How does Peter know that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God? There's a verse that tells us that when the son when the spirit comes back which just took place, then the father was accepting of what Christ did and he's now sitting at the right hand of God. The reason Peter knew that is because he had a verse about it. Christ, before he ascended, he's, he's letting him know, here's some things about the kingdom that you all need to know. And then he goes away. So Peter, through scriptures, knows that Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. He knows Psalms that says, come, sit Thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. He knows the verse. He knows where Christ is because the Holy Spirit came here in chapter 2 and he knows that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And when I see that and I know the Holy Spirit is here and we have the Holy Spirit here at Pentecost, we know that Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was accepted by the Father and he is now seated at the right hand of God based on scripture. And so he's telling them based on that authority. Notice, therefore being by the right hand of God uh, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both what? Lord and Christ. What he did was accepted of the Father. And it's interesting because he quotes Psalms right there. And it's interesting because you go down through here and you see that stuff. But notice there real quick in verse 34, he says, For David is not ascended into the heavens. He's not resurrected yet. There's a resurrection that's going to take place. Where's David's body? In the dirt somewhere. His body's not been raised yet. That's what he's dealing with there. Then you go on down through and you see, they say, what must we do after they were pricked in their hearts? Um, Acts chapter 13. To me, that's interesting because you get to see that. Acts chapter 13. Now, what's interesting is that verse about David is used to teach something else that's kind of strange too, which we'll talk about sometime soon. Um, Acts chapter 13, verse 36, and we'll we'll see this. Notice, Acts chapter 13, verse 36, for David, who we just read about. Um, let's, uh, Let's back up to verse 32 real quick. Because this is also interesting. So Luke's writing here in Acts 13:32, notice what he says, and we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he hath raised up Jesus again. What's the promise that he's talking about there? Is resurrection. Notice, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he raised up Jesus again. Notice, as it is also written in the second psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You know, it's interesting. When is it that God says to Christ, this day have I begotten thee? Is it the resurrection? That's the connection there. Continue on, verse 34. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Notice, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, What's those next three words? Fell on sleep. So what happens there is what? We're told that David what? Fell on sleep, which means he what? Died. His body died. His body did what? Went to the earth. So it's interesting. We go through those and we kind of see that, hopefully, right? Question. I'm sorry. I just, we were talking about the following this morning, CJ and I. Mm-hmm. You heard how great a conversation we had yeah. there. I can't but, wait to see the drawing, too. I know, uh, but it's interesting that this says that he fell on sleep mm-hmm. because the fall of man was a spiritual death. death. Mm-hmm. It's just funny how you kind of use the word fall there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, but notice, he says, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. So that, that brings up a whole other thing. Um, and this is one of those things that was pointed out to me who did David serve? He served his own generation. So who should I serve would be my own generation. Each one of us would have that same same thought process, right? That's, that's a little something extra. But notice, what happens is he fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw what? Corruption. Go real quick over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Because this is something that we want to keep in mind of what's going on here. But we also want to use this and move forward. What I want us to remind ourselves over in First Thessalonians chapter 4 is he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of them that fell asleep or that were asleep, right? And the reason why is because we don't want to act the same way as those that have no hope. Why? Because we do have a hope. We have a resurrection, where we're going to be given a body fashioned and likened to His glorious body. To stop and think about that real quick, when Christ rose from the dead, He says, don't touch me for I've not ascended to the Father. He comes back within an hour and He says, come and put your hand, your finger through my, through my hand and thrust your fist through my side. And He talks about being hungry. So within an hour, he goes to the Father, receives this glorified body, and just appears in the room that's locked. He didn't walk through it. He just, he appeared and he says, I'm hungry. Put your hand, put your fist, all this. That's interesting. We're going to have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. And you think about this. Within an hour, he goes from the earth to the Father and returns within an hour. Now, Bruce, it takes him an hour to get here from Richmond driving. If, the, if, if Christ can move that quickly between, and we're going to have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body, you think of the possibilities there. But notice here, 1 Corinthians 15, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, my bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, dealing with what we just got through reading about David in, in, in Acts 13. Notice, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... What's he dealing with there? He's dealing with this. And we'll see this. Notice. For we know... And again, this is something that we should know... That if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... We have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens... So he's saying even though we have this physical body here that we know can dissolve because we've seen death for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and what happens to a body that's in a grave or a coffin or whatever, what happens to him is what? It's dissolved. goes back to the dust. But what? We have a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this, this earthly physical body in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven it's interesting that he says to be clothed upon as if it's just a garment we can take off and we put on this new garment you know it's interesting when we were talking about going through created for his glory and we talked about the the darkness that came upon the earth it was like a Cloth that just God drapes over in darkness. But that's the same idea. Notice verse 3 If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked, for we that are in this tabernacle, this physical body, do groan, being burdened. Now, pause there for a second. We'll we'll come back to that. Go over to uh, Romans chapter 8. And I'll tell you what. One of the things I found out, so uh, what was it? Two months ago, I turned 45. And uh, I'm learning more and more about this, this groaning <laughs> uh, the older I get. Um, <clears throat> Notice here in Romans chapter 8, and it's funny because, you know, I deal with kids all the time. Uh, we were up at the camp a couple of weeks ago, the teen camp up there. And try to convey to them, you're not invincible, right? They go out there and they play tackle football in the snow and they get tackled and they get up and they're jumping around and they're ready to go for more. And I'm like, I got hurt just watching you do that. And I'm like, you know, try to convince them that one of these days you're going to feel the same way I do. It's hard for them to imagine that because it was hard for me to imagine that. In my mind, I played basketball when I was in high school and I could dunk. In my mind, I could still do it. I know I can't. But in my mind, i do it. You know, it's that idea. And your body's like, mm, not happening, right? Because I can't even walk to the vehicle without twisting an ankle. Which did happen a few months ago. But notice here in Romans chapter 8, and this is, this is the thought process that we should have as we go through. Notice in verse 18. For I reckon, and that reckon there is to count it true, right? To... to To say, yes, this is true. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So, we talked a little bit about last week about stuff that we go through and how we deal with that. Well, this is the mindset that Paul had that he came out and said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Delilah and I were talking about that this past week. She was talking to a friend of hers. A lot of people don't like to hear that because they like to wallow in that self-pity and come, come, come down to, to where I am and, and, and feel sorry for me. No, get the verse. Let the verse lift you up. But that's what she was doing. She brought that up. But notice, verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, again, here's this knowing again. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we are ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for what? The adoption to it, what? The redemption of the body. That's what we're waiting for. That's what all of creation is waiting for. Whole creation groans and travails in pain, waiting for that happening all the stuff that we see the calamities and stuff like that that takes place in the world the world and the creatures and the creation is waiting for the day that manifestation of the sons of god when you know we read over there in in Acts 13 talking about Christ saying where where he says thou art my beloved son right when did that take place at the ra- at the resurrection this is the same thing he's saying here this is where we are to that, that spirit of adoption that he talks about in verse 15. The fact that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ in verse 17. He says, waiting for the adoption, when we actually get that position of sons of God, that redemption of our body, that's when it's going to take place. Verse 24, for we are saved by what? Hope. There is hope there. But hope that is, not, that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience, what? Wait for it. When go back over to Second Corinthians chapter 5 when we go through this life and we see the stuff that happens we know that those things that we go through is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. We should seek those things that, that are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God and not It's not like you can just say, well, none of this stuff happens. But don't allow this here to bring us down. Allow those things. Philippians chapter 4, he talks about those things which are perfect and and, and true and pure and all that stuff. Keep your minds on those things. Because that's eternity. This is temporal. And so then, that's one of those things we think about this, but what do we have there is hope. What's hope? Hope isn't, man, I hope it stops raining today. Hope is something different. Hope is having a confident expectation of a sure thing. I know that the rapture is going to take place, and because of that, I have hope. And because of that, when I look at somebody that's in my life that has died and gone on, I know that I will see them again. That's why he says at the end of chapter 4, verse 13, whereby comfort one another with these words. Why? Because we have hope. So, when over here, when we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, continue on, um, verse 4 For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now, he that, that, that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. Who also hath given unto us the earnest of the, of the Spirit. That takes you over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. That, that The fact that God has given us the Spirit as the earnest, the down payment saying, I will come back and get you. That's where our hope is, is in who we are in Christ. Verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the, what? Body. That's that same thing that he's been talking about, this earthly house, this tabernacle that we live in now, this, this, this thing that we have to, that we've grown in. He tells us here what? Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So the earthly tabernacle that he's talking about there, he comes down here and he tells us in the context, this is what I've been talking about. I've been talking about this body that we carry around that one day will be changed. First Corinthians chapter 15, 51 and on. That's one of those things, what we're talking about over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice, verse 7, here's the big issue. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith says, I'm going through this stuff. Praise the Lord, I've got something that's greater. And I don't care what goes through here. I mean that's that's really what Paul came down to at the end of his life. He says, "I'm going to glory in it because I got something greater waiting on me." And he says, "That's what it is, walk by faith, trusting in what God's word actually says to you and about you, not by sight looking at all the things." You know, it's interesting. We can look at stuff that's going on in Ukraine and Russia and we could be worried. Now, a lot of people aren't worried because it's over there, right? Not, it's possible it may come this way in a different form maybe, but it's possible that something else could, and we could be drug into it just like the last couple times. But we don't bury our head in the sand when that stuff takes place, but we can say what? Lord, even so now come. And it's not an escapism from life, it's what? I get to glory in Him sooner if He does come. if we have to wait but here's the best part even if he does not so come what do we do we glory no matter what happens now you go out you go out the doors with that mindset and people will think you're crazy I know they've told me (laughs) but do you know what that is that's faith in what God's Word actually says I'm not worried about everything around me do we pay attention yes but do I worry about it? The whole COVID-19 that we dealt with the last couple years, you think about it, you pay attention to it, you look at it and you say, that's not who I am in Christ. I'm going to go and do what I'm supposed to go do. Does that mean we say, well, it doesn't exist? No. We look at it and say, that thing exists. That's something we have to deal with. Let's go on with life. I'm not going to allow that to control Everything. Whatever it may be, we don't allow those things to control us. That's, that's, that's that walking by sight. Verse 8, here's this word again. We are confident. And I say willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We're all that way, right? I'd rather be with the Lord than to be here. But notice, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. It doesn't matter if He comes or not. What do we do? Like we talked about the last time, we go and we work. We just go about our business as if nothing's going to happen. And if it happens, praise the Lord. If it doesn't happen, praise the Lord. If we get to go, praise the Lord. If we have to stick around and have to go through some stuff, praise the Lord. That's the mindset that we have to have now before bad things happen. We've talked about it before. If if you're standing in the good times, when it comes time to stand, you don't have to get up. You're already prepared. You're standing. If it comes to the point where you have to get up and do something and you're sitting down, you're not prepared to stand. So stand when it's when you don't have to right now. So that way when it comes time to stand, you don't have to. You're already standing. That's that mindset. Think about how we live our life and how that's supposed to Deal with those issues. That's what we see. Now, <clears throat> is it easy to is it easy to get hung up and say, you know what? I'd rather stockpile of food and all this other stuff and and get prepared just in case. That's fine. But do you know what the real issue is? Get the nose in the book. Stockpile that. Because that's going to get you through no matter what comes about. And that's, that's what he's dealing with. Go back over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, as I said, I look at the time and obviously this will be part one of this one. Because we've not gotten to everything yet. But I want us to see this groundwork that we're laying with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. And we'll see why this is so important. Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Why? That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Why? Because we do have a hope. Notice, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This isn't just something I'm coming up with. This is the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The issue there is what we know based on some other verses, what's going to happen. You have the trump of God, which we'll talk about next week. When that trump of God takes place, what happens? The dead in Christ rise first and then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them to appear with them in the clouds together. That idea of we're not going to prevent them which are asleep, it's saying we're not going to go before those that are dead. Now, oftentimes I tell folks, I was like, if I die before the rapture, that means I get to go there first and you have to wait to come up. Now, Jokingly, I say that, but here's the thing: what's going to happen is, is, he's not going to catch those that are alive and remain first, and then get those. He's, he says, "Those that are asleep, they have." It's almost as if you got your reservations; you know you're going. They got divs, yeah. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Here's the best part, verse sixteen: for the Lord himself shout us in he's not sending somebody else to come get us he himself is going to come and catch us up to meet him in the air he's not sending an angel or somebody else to do it for him he himself is going to come and gather to himself his church it's a beautiful thing when you think about it that's hope and that's why he says I don't want you to be ignorant of those that were asleep. Here's the problem. Do you know what this means? In Thessalonica, there were people telling them that those that are dead, you don't get, you don't get resurrection, I guess. Because he's having to tell them, they do, they get it, and then we're not going to prevent them. We're not going to beat them to it. They're going to get there, and then we're going to go and be met with him together. So that tells me that somebody's been teaching them false doctrine, and so he's fixing that false doctrine. It's the same thing. At the very beginning of 1 Thessalonians, he talks about faith, love, and hope, right? We talked about that before. 2 Thessalonians is faith and love. They lost their hope. Why? Somebody came along, sent them a letter and says, hey, this letter's from Paul, the saying you've missed the rapture. He talks about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I don't want you to be say, shaken in, 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 in mind that the, rat, that the resurrection has passed already. Who is it that taught the resurrection is past already? Hominus and Philetus in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So when we think about those things, there's a whole bunch of stuff that Paul's doing there with the folks in Thessalonica trying to get them to understand, don't lose your hope. Hang on to it because it's still there. It's still viable and it's still a true thing. And I don't want you to be ignorant of that. And I want you to hang on to that and don't let go. Right? Notice, <clears throat> We'll finish this out and then we'll stop. Then notice. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's the issue that He's bringing up there. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to what? To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The sleeping issue, he's dealing with those that are dead. He said, don't worry about them. Christ is going to get them first. Then we're not going to prevent them. We're not going to, we're not going to go before them. He's going to get them first. And then we which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them. We know that this is how God expects us to live our life. And we know that this body one day will be dissolved, but we're going to have a body fashioned like into his glorious body one day. And that's the hope that we keep in our mind and say, that's what I'm looking forward to. No matter what comes, that's something that I've got to look forward to. And that's part of the things that he's bringing up here. Now, there's some other things that I want us to be able to bring up as we go down through here. Um, so we'll... we'll probably finish up this series next week.